Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me tonight Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Timothy. Hello. We're a book club for games. But not today. Today, we are going to wrap up the year. We're going to talk about the 2019 highlights. Or lowlights. The highlights of the decade. And our 2019 meaningless awards. Cue fanfare. No, no, don't cue fanfare. We're saving the fanfare for the meaningless awards itself. Horns. More horns. Okay, fine. Fine. Horns. Sorry, enough horns. You could just leave me in there, cueing all the sound effects. Yeah, I will. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) So let's talk about the the highlights of the year. So usually, we actually begin the wrap-up with stats of the year. But I don't think you've had time to put together all the stats. It's getting increasingly harder because there are so many different platforms. Previously, it was Steam and PlayStation, really. Now we've got Switch. Now we've got Epic Game Store. Epic. I don't know where else you play things, if I'm honest. The Moon. No. I think those are the main ones. It's getting harder. I'm getting lazier, maybe. Is this too much explanation? Yeah, I'd you know, rather than fault my work ethic, I'd rather we just said we don't have time to talk about the stats in this app. Yeah, okay, let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> you, we can leave it all in, by the way. So, the stats will be on the blog. If there's anything particularly noteworthy to talk about in them, maybe we'll do it at the start of next year. So quickly, these are highlights for us. Obviously, it's not going to be the complete highlights of the year for everyone. So let's start with February. Apex Legends launched out of absolutely nowhere. Yeah, literally no one saw this coming. There were some rumours one day, and the next day, bam, it lands. And the day after, literally millions of people are playing it. It becomes one of the most popular battle royales. And it's really good. And even now it's setting the benchmark, I feel, for battle royale games at the moment it may not be the most popular obviously i don't even know what the most popular is anymore i mean who cares about numbers no one needs you know we're living in a post-facts world so we may as well say you know it's conquered everything it's the greatest battle royale is the apex i mean the, the hints in the name we're gonna do these swiftly right we'll move on coming up only a week or two later was anthem also in february which didn't review well, was not critically acclaimed, but sold a ton. Yeah, it did sell well, didn't it? And it was pulling in significant microtransaction revenue too. Which just goes to show, we're living in a post-facts world and it doesn't matter. (laughs) So the story of Anthem is well documented in a Kotaku article, which we'll put in the show notes, I hope. Yeah, I mean, I think we've actually referenced this Anthem article like five times or something. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. There was just a 1.6 update announced for Anthem, so there's an update coming, or it's just come. Not all hope is lost. 
and so Michael say we're not about the facts, but I'm still about the facts. NPD numbers for this year up to November 2019. Anthem was the 10th best-selling game. I'm just shaking my head. I mean, you can't. I'm just shaking my head and I'm making a face. There's terror. What is this? Madness. You just, you know, Reddit doesn't tell you everything. <laughs> this is the problem with me getting literally all of my news now from Reddit. I've become one of those people. I'm just in the echo chamber. What do you mean, Boris Johnson won? Sorry, sorry. And then. Bizarre news. Well, bizarre news, that was a harbinger of things to come. Devotion, a very popular indie game, had a hidden reference to Xi Jinping being Winnie the Pooh, which is a very popular meme. And as a result, it was pulled from sale in China. In fact, I think it's been pulled from sale globally because the publisher was a Chinese company. And I think they've been forced to just, well, I, I'm not even sure if you can get hold of it anymore. So another example of China's growing clout and ability to globally censor things. I guess at the end of the day, money talks. Sadly. It's the world we live in. And then what are you going to say? Are you going to do the next one? No. You want me to do it? Yeah, I don't want to talk about Hong Kong protests. You put it in, didn't you, though? You originally, you originally put this one in, not me. Yeah, but then I put a question mark around it. Oh, okay. But then you said, oh, actually, there's a lot of gaming, because I thought it wasn't gaming. No, there's a very tenuous gaming connection. There's a very tenuous gaming connection. Okay. So, then in June, the Hong Kong protest started. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, we're both living in Hong Kong. It was kind of all-consuming. I mean, you you can't escape the impact of the Hong Kong protests on daily life. I mean, it's really weird because they can be very localized. Like, you can be one street away from where the protest is happening, and you you wouldn't know it was happening. But other times, they'll just fire loads of tear gas, and then for sure you know it's happening. A lot of the time, I don't think it was anywhere near as extreme as it was portrayed on the international media. But then again, there were definitely times when it was actually insane, like when they basically sieged the universities. And then it went all Hunger Games. Like there was literally a guy firing a flaming arrow. And now... It's calmed down quite a lot since the district council elections, but you still see it. Like when I was out shopping over the weekend, I literally just saw groups of riot police, like all dressed up in, you know, riot control gear. And they were just like stopping teenagers and making them show their ID. So this is normal now, I guess. The Tenuous Gaming Connection. Please. They have made a virtual reality game about the Hong Kong protest. It's called like Liberate Hong Kong or something. It's on Itch.io. And you can actually go to VR gaming centers in Mong Kok and play it. So originally, 
I was actually meant to go and play it over the weekend. But then other things derailed that plan. So I haven't actually tried it, but there is a Hong Kong protest VR game now. I wonder if they'll let you make protest games in the game jam. Oh, I'm sure they will. They had an entire, I mean, like five years ago, an entire umbrella revolution game jam where they literally just made games about, you know, the occupation of Central and all the yellow umbrellas and stuff. And at Global Game Jam, someone brought along one of the games they'd made out of the game jam and just tried to pass it off as if they made it at this game jam. And it was really obvious that they'd, they'd made it the weekend before and were just showing it around again. Because the trailer video literally had the name of the other game jam in it. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure they're not going to stop you. All right. And then fine. One more from me, seeing as I seem to just be doing all of these. In July, I had dinner with Jonathan Blow, which is, I guess, a personal highlight. It's not really a highlight in gaming in general. But Jonathan Blow came to Hong Kong and he randomly tweeted, hey, do any Hong Kong game devs want to meet up? And I somehow managed to finagle an invitation and come along for dinner. So Jonathan Blow, he's a very interesting character. In real life, he's actually kind of the same as he is. Well, you know, the thing is, I guess this is his persona, right? I guess he's not going to show what he's really like to his like real friends. But in real life, he was kind of like he is in Twitter. But I think that's him. I don't think he has a filter. I don't think he's like PR managed to any extent. <laughs> yeah, maybe he could really do with a PR manager. He seems to be constantly offending people on Twitter and also blocking people. But to the extent that it's almost become a badge of honour just to show you've been blocked by Jonathan Blow. But he's getting engagement, which is all he wants. By controversy. You're right. This is what we need to do. Let's start blocking people on Twitter. <laughs> you need to start saying offensive things to the world. Like... This is rubbish. I'm saying that all the time. I'm already trying to be as offensive as I can. I'm trying. Not enough. Not enough. Not Jonathan Blow levels of of offence. Okay, maybe that can be something I can work on next year. And then, do we have nothing for the second half of the year? Well, I said the reason for this was the Q4 games always were... They're just sequels. They weren't all sequels. We had, we had a few big new IPs. Yes, I know. If you say it like that, yes. But all the surprises come in the early part of the year when people take more risks. I would say. So we have no particular events for the second half of the year? No. Some highlight section this turned out to be. Okay, okay. It's so, nice. There's no rule that has to be three per month as, as much as I would love for something like that. So then to call out some non-specific date highlights. 2019 feels like it was the year of auto chess. I mean, I completely missed this. I have yet to play any auto chess game, but it feels like auto chess this year was kind of like battle royale a couple of years ago because you've got well you've got the original dota auto chess mod and then now 
the people who made that mod have just made their standalone auto chess game and then dota have made dota underlords which is like an official auto chess game league have got team fight tactics i heard that even hearthstone has an auto chess mode now which just seems like madness i don't even understand how that can work but apparently it's a thing it makes sense because you've got these deck building games and actually auto chess i feel gives you more feedback and I like I like animations, particle effects. I guess you can also have particle effects with Hearthstone, I guess. But it's just more glitzy. Have you played any of these? I have played the Dota one. Did you play it much? Enough to understand what was going on, but not enough to really enjoy it. I, I just really feel like I've missed this. I, I've never really managed to properly engage with MOBAs and I guess this is just a side effect of that it's strange that I don't enjoy MOBAs more I mean I think it's just because I'm really bad at them and I know what it would take to be good and I just don't I don't even want to invest that time and so I'm just literally not starting but I don't know maybe I should try auto chess because it's it's much lighter weight. It's more about the strategy than, you know, twitchy micro stuff. And it's on your phone. It's on my phone. I didn't know. I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's on your phone. Really? Which one's on my phone? Uh, Dota is on your phone. Really? Yeah, that's how I play it. Oh, geez. Okay, maybe, maybe I'll try it over Christmas. Do you want to do one? Oh, yes, please. Epic Game Store. They've been giving away a game every two weeks originally and then it went on to a game every week and over the christmas period it's going to be a game a day this is just crazy i mean i guess they're just buying market share and they really need to buy market share because steam is so entrenched i I just find it funny how to this day like a year later there are still people who refuse to use the epic store they're just like no I'm a Steam loyalist. I hate Epic for breaking up the community. You know, Epic exclusives have ruined my life. Or, you know, like, oh, I wanted to play that game, but it's a shame it's not coming out for another year, even though it's already out on Epic. But they just, you know, they're pretending it doesn't exist until it's on Steam. Yeah, surprising. I'm glad we we agree on this one. I think it's farcical. It's just like people are like, please, please, I want to be a corporate shill. I mean, you know, Steam is no better than Epic, really. We've talked about this before, we don't have to rehash it, but I do find it funny that people are now so loyal to one corporation that they don't want to let another corporation in on the game. Like, surely, well, I was going to say competition is good. Competition is also really inconvenient in many ways, but I don't know. There's going to be a balance, right? I mean, Steam was the Netflix of games, but just like how Netflix is being slowly torn to shreds by all their competitors and the market's becoming more fragmented. I guess that's at risk of happening in the gaming space too, but I'm fine with it. I don't know. Maybe I can just be bought by free games. I wonder if the free games will continue into next year. At some point, they'll have enough market share and they'll say, no more. Embarrassing admission from me next. I don't think I played the PS4 or the Oculus, all year. 
I'm just kind of shocked that it's already the end of the year. And yeah, I'm not sure when the last time I turned on the PS4 was. And I'm pretty sure I literally haven't plugged in the Oculus all year. Whoops. Is there a good reason for this? I don't think so. For, for some reason, I've just been playing more and more PC games, but no, I don't think there's a good reason for it. Okay. And also, PC games doesn't explain the Oculus, but... Let's move swiftly on. To our shared failure to do any game coding. I don't know why you have to bring this up every time. I don't know why you just let it die. Just let it die. I just I just wish we'd managed to make more progress. I did do a little bit. I wrote the beginnings of a classic mario style platform engine so i had a cube that could run left and right and it had old school mario style physics okay. but I, I that's as far as i got you know there was no animation it couldn't jump but it could walk and it could run and the physics were kind of similar to mario 3 but that was it i just built a bunch of data structures to represent like furniture and agents with modifiers and i was building the navigation module for the agents that was it that's pretty good uh, we didn't do anything all it did was like just push out a matrix onto a you know into a console with you know a grid of 10 by 10 with letters to represent things at least it's something at least it's a start <laughs> how generous and maybe there'll be a finish it depends if we make any progress next year and then i do have a final highlight for the year which is phoenix point came out and it's weird because it's actually not terribly good but but it's really engaging like i think i just really want another classic XCOM game and it's kind of a hybrid. It's not as hardcore as the original, original XCOM games, but it is more granular than the new Firaxis XCOM games. Plot-wise, it's a bit like Terror from the Deep, sort of Lovecraftian undersea horror. I'm enjoying it. It has caused me to sleep at 3am several times in the past couple of weeks since it came out. So... I must be enjoying it despite it having loads of problems, like loads of balance <laughs> issues, loads of bugs. But I'm still enjoying it. Cool. Then that wraps up the 2019 highlights. So let's look back on the decade.
man, oh man. So where should we start? We're not sticking to a strict chronological order, are we? Okay. Although it's largely chronological. But but the first one is in 2014 we met for the first time. So we're not that good of friends, really, if you think about it. It's like five years ago now. I don't think five years is a lengthy amount of time. This just goes to show how old you are. <laughs> Thanks. You could be like best friends after like five minutes when you're younger. Yeah, it's true. What? You like Pokemon too? We're besties now. Five years. And five years on, we're still debating on whether we met for the first time on my birthday. Uh, the, the first time I recall meeting you in person was when we met up for dinner and then I discovered years later that it was actually your birthday, but you just didn't mention it. I, I do have friends. I was just in, in a new country. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My other favourite fact about us meeting is that in this first email, I mean, it's not literally the first email, but it's definitely one of the first emails we sent each other. I said, hey, Ting, since you're moving to Hong Kong, you may as well have my phone number because you were taking over my job at the other company. And so I gave you my phone number. And then you replied, I'll get in touch. I need to know how easy it is to get by with just English. You liar. You speak Cantonese. <laughs> well, I do now for sure. I just think it was hilarious. You were, like, you were totally, you told me you didn't speak any Cantonese and then you literally answered the phone and just spoke in perfectly fluent Cantonese. Well, if you read my message to you close, more closely, it reads that how you manage with just English. It doesn't reference to the fact that I don't know Cantonese, my Cantonese is non-existent or it doesn't reference that at all. It's true. It's true. You didn't lie. You just omitted and I filled in the blanks wrongly. Yeah. Very good, Ting. Very good. Okay, and then on to actual gaming highlights. So, I feel like the 2010s, a decade of indies. I don't think the indie boom started in 2010 onwards. It started a little bit earlier, but the 2010s have definitely been dominated by indie games. You know, once again anybody could publish a game you know to get your game on steam you just had to pay like a hundred bucks and so we had like a total explosion in the number of games it's hard to remember what it was like before that you know you could get your game maybe on xbox live arcade or you could try and host it somewhere and get someone to download your random exe off the internet and just hope <laughs> that it wasn't a virus right like the opening up of the ecosystem to indies definitely a huge thing in the last 10 years what would you be playing if you if we didn't have these indie games i don't know i mean i can i can hardly even remember what it was like before then i i, I guess i would have played a lot more triple a stuff i feel like i i miss a lot of triple a stuff now because i'm just playing random indie stuff you would be a blizzard diehard oh probably how awful what a terrible fate I managed to avoid. Thank goodness for Braid. <laughs> Sorry. Next up. Oh, I guess continuing on the indie theme. Minecraft. 
just sneaks in to this decade. I think technically he started work on it in 2009 but the official release was definitely in this decade and the alpha version which is the version that i originally started with was released in 2010 hugely hugely influential again i think a defining game of this decade and then you know the rise and fall of notch he was like an indie darling then he became a billionaire when microsoft bought minecraft and then he's just i don't even know how to describe it he's become a pariah he's just had this fall from grace and become more and more extreme as did the money corrupt him or was he always like this and now he's a billionaire so he just doesn't have to have any filter he can just you know he's got fu money basically before he might have had some really controversial opinion and he was like oh i can't say that though or i'll never work again and he's like bitch i never need to work again i'm gonna talk about q is it q canon i don't know that whole thing i (laughs) do you follow notch i am following notch on twitter from the minecraft days in fact i think the podcast account is following notch as well on twitter from the minecraft days i've never removed him but yeah he's definitely an interesting character now Next up, still in 2010, Humble Bundle. Colon, the source of Mike's backlog. Question mark. Again, it's hard to remember a world before the Humble Bundle. I remember when the first Humble Bundle came out, I bought it and I also downloaded all of the games because like a big thing at the beginning was that they were DRM free. And I wasn't sure if Humble Bundle was going to survive the year. So I was like, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to make sure I download all the games in the installer. And I've got it on my hard drive in case, you know, I lose the games. Now I have just like a hundred unclaimed keys in Humble Bundle because I'm just like buying bundles and just not bothering to claim half the keys because there's just too many of them. Do they ever repeat the games in the bundles? Oh, yeah. All the time. Happens all the time. I've got many, many duplicate keys. I mean, if we were just trying to grow market share by bribery like everyone else, maybe I should just give away my humble bundle keys. It's not. It's, a, it's how you word it. It's how you word it, please. If we're just trying to grow our community by sharing what we have, yes. I need to collate them. I don't even know what are the duplicates. The, the reason I don't claim all the keys is because if you claim a key and you already own it, then the key is just burned up and you don't get anything for it. And so the process of claiming Humble Bundle keys now is actually quite laborious because over the past decade, I have bought so many Humble Bundles that I do have many duplicates or there's a lot of times when I have the game already in my Steam account. And so I have to, for every key, check if it's already in my Steam account. And then also there's a problem of you can only claim so many keys a day on Steam before Steam says, you've claimed too many keys today, no more. And so even when I do put aside like an hour to start claiming keys, Steam will just stop me. And then it's like, oh, I've got to remember to pick up from this point tomorrow. And I inevitably forget. How much would you pay for an app that does that for you? 350 For someone who has too much money to make sense of, I wow, don't, don't too much money. <laughs> what are you trying to say, Ting? More money than sense. That's what I'm looking for. M- more bundles than money at this point. 
I've got better. The, the, the problem was, there was a point when I was like, oh, it's such good value, I should buy it. And so there was a point when I was buying practically every bundle. I'm much more selective now because it's totally out of control. And I have since learned, I'm definitely not going to play all these games. There's just too many games to play. So it has toned down quite a lot. The growth of my Steam backlog has significantly slowed. Also because Steam sales these days are just not as good as they used to be. But, you know, should probably be thankful for that too. One for you. This is still in 2010. I can't believe it's been, I cannot believe it's been this long. StarCraft 2 came out in 2010. And almost immediately, there was the Global StarCraft League, the GSL streams. I was watching this weekly. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I had some friends I've met weekly. We used to watch it together over dinner. And it just became something I did. And I even watched it you know, out of that cycle as well. Did you ever play? No, because there was, it was, and it was one of those games where it was so much, it was more entertaining to watch them than to play on your own because their level of play was just amazing. Yeah, I know what that's like. And the shoutcasters were really good as well. I don't know what the quality, I guess it can vary. It can vary, right? The quality of the shoutcasters, but if they're good, it makes all the difference. And then it's interesting to see that esports has just carried on, but I don't think StarCraft is anywhere near the top anymore, right? I think the MOBAs are really blazing the trail. I think that's where the big money is. Yeah. Although they did inject a lot into Fortnite. But I don't know if Battle Royales make good watching because they're just so chaotic. There's just so much stuff going on with a hundred players it's really hard to actually i don't know make a compelling narrative out of the game because it's just like absolute chaos and then maybe in the final few circles you can actually spin it in a better way it's interesting what genres make for good viewing right rts seems like a natural fit for me but rts as a genre i think has kind of died yeah, it's over. I mean, it's a shame, but then even I don't play RTS games anymore. I'm not even sure why. Because there's nothing to play. Yeah, I mean, there's no more Command & Conquer. I did like Supreme Commander. But, again, it just kind of fizzled out. And also the plot was terrible. I mean, I know I shouldn't be playing it for the plot, really, but I really like a good plot. I mean, I mean, what was there post StarCraft 2? Ashes of the Singularity? But it, it never caught on, right? Only for benchmarks? Yeah, exactly. It was a DX12 benchmark for a while. I mean, and StarCraft 2 rumbled on for a long time because they had the Zerg expansion and the Protoss expansion. But... Yeah, I mean, I never got into the competitive side. I did, I did try for a very short time, but... I just didn't have the skills, you know. Let's move out of 2010 into 2011. <laughs> oh, wow. So, in 2011, Duke Nukem Forever released. Here you've got It Was Like Half-Life 3. 
I, I think it was like Half-Life 3. It's the, it's the same... It's, it's almost the same level of vaporware and hype as Half-Life 3, right? Like, if you're a certain age, i.e. our age, like, Duke Nukem was huge in the 90s. Well, I should, I'd say Duke Nukem. Duke Nukem 3D. I mean, because there were 2D Duke Nukem platformers prior to that. Anyway, the sequel to Duke Nukem 3D, Duke Nukem Forever, it looked like it was going to be a multi-million dollar game. Well, actually, it definitely was a multi-million dollar game. They invested millions and millions of dollars into making it. And I think it kept almost, but not quite, making it out, right? Because like every couple of years, you'd see the game and you'd be like, oh, this looks pretty good, but then it never released. And then you see it again a bit later, but in a different engine. You know, they, they were never quite able to close the deal. And, and so they just had to scrap it and start again. And yeah, when it finally, finally released, it was just a shocking disappointment because so much changed between Duke Nukem 3D and 2011, right? From like the mid 90s to 2011, the world changed. And things that were edgy and funny in like 1996 or something were just like offensive in 2011. And so the game was just like terrible. It was basically like a 1996 game with 2011, is it 20, even 2011, like mid 2000s graphics. I don't know. I'm, I'm being harsh now, but it was a big disappointment when it came out. Were you looking forward to the release of Duke Nukem Forever? Actually, not particularly, personally. But I just, I just think it it's worth mentioning because Duke Nukem Forever was the Half Life Three of the two thousands. Stop using Half Life Three in the same sentence as Duke Nukem Forever, please. <laughs> do you find this offensive? I do, I do, because Duke Nukem Three D was not a another good game. way that Duke Nukem is offensive. <laughs> Duke Nukem Three D was not like a classic game, right? Duke Nukem 3D, I think, at release, was like a technical marvel. Like, it was more 3D than Doom, and it had, like, jetpacks, and it had, like, more complicated scripting. Like, it's this, you know, it's like Blur versus Oasis. Sorry, this is a 90s Britpop reference. But, you know, like, you were, you were this team or that team, like, red team or blue team, right? You, you were, like, either Team Doom or you were Team Duke 3D. No, you were Team... Really, were you? Or maybe? I think so. I mean, like... I had a friend who was a big Duke Nukem 3D fan. Like he was on that side of the divide. So as a result, I played, or well, I played Duke Nukem 3D. But yeah, I was never hugely into it. I was never like, oh, I, I wasn't really super hyped for Duke Nukem Forever, for example. Like I didn't really care one way or the other. But the fact that it was a game that never quite arrived, you know, it was vaporware like Half-Life 3, you know... <laughs> I think it's worth mentioning. Okay. The release of Nukem 3D was like a defining moment that was thankfully quickly forgotten. But I'm bringing it up now to Remnace. Also for 2011? Skyrim. It's hard to believe. Like, Skyrim is like really old. You sound said with so much disdain 
it's just amazing because you know i remember skyrim coming out and you needed you know a full-on gaming pc to play it and now you can basically play it on mobile class hardware by which i mean the switch but you know you can portably play skyrim now whereas you used to need an expensive graphics card to play skyrim and then also all the memes skyrim has spawned like the oh you're awake you know like everything is just skyrim or thomas the tank engine arrow to the knee arrow to the knee another classic i've not played skyrim wait you've not played skyrim you once you once oh yes you're right i remember now yes you've not played skyrim and there was a free weekend and you tried it and i tried to stream it to you yes and that made it that made the experience much worse so you you just didn't like skyrim i think it would it takes time skyrim takes time it, it definitely takes time whatever it's in the past now ancient history it's the last decades news i don't know that you know skyrim on switch only released recently get it on switch so it'll be on something else next year i'm sure of it it'll be on your fridge it'll be on the toaster 2012 the rebirth of vr because again depending on your age vr was around in the 90s you used to be able to go in like shopping malls and see like these giant virtual reality kind of like stations and you could play like vr games that were like super low poly and the tracking had like terrible latency Sorry, sorry, sorry. Where did you go for this? Did you never see these? Just like in arcades and also just in shopping malls and stuff. There were these big circular virtual reality stations. Um, in regular shopping malls, they didn't have circular VR stations. I feel like... I feel like... <laughs> I was hallucinating. The 90s well, you, were a hell of a time. You were just better than us. In, in like... The Trocadero in London, but also in Bracknell, I'm pretty sure, aka Crack Hell. <laughs> anyway, there was VR in the 90s, but it wasn't good. And then after that, it kind of just disappeared. And then in 2012, Oculus Rift Kickstarter, and then boom, VR was back. You, you, you. I backed the Kickstarter. Yeah. And that's how I ended up with this oculus cv1 how much was that kickstarter 200 us dollars how much were they asking for i mean that was it that was the buy-in for for the kickstarter what was their target amount oh i think it was like two million dollars okay i've done no research that's just from memory so we'll see if it's right or not but yeah the oculus dev kit when it arrived was pretty impressive and then the Oculus with the hand tracking controllers is actually really immersive. It's just a massive faff to set up in a Hong Kong sized flat. The Quest, though, the Quest, I think, has great potential because inside that tracking, no cameras to set up. You literally just pop it on your head and it works. So I think the future of VR is going to be interesting. Though I'm not sure it will ever get to the stage where everyone's using it. I don't. We'll see. We've talked about VR a lot in the past anyway. So the main thing to call out is that 2012 is when it came back. 
also in 2012. Uh, Windows 8. Another shit version of Windows came back. I didn't actually encounter this until 2014 when I upgraded my PC. And I put Windows 8 on that PC because I was like, oh, I should move with the times. And I hated it. I actually felt really dumb because like I spent all this money on this PC and actually I found that I was just still using my old PC because I hated Windows 8 so much. It was like so much friction or like it just didn't work properly. Like I'd turn on the PC and I would just get a black screen for like two minutes. And then the log on screen would finally appear after two minutes of just showing me a black screen. And apparently it was just a Windows 8 bug. It just did that sometimes. You know, like there were just so many shocking problems with Windows 8. Or the stupid, there's no start button. You've got this like weird hot corner thing. And then you have the full screen, start screen. It was awful. <laughs> I mean, what, so what's funny is that 2014 is basically, again, we mentioned earlier, when I met you. And that period is characterized by me playing a lot more console stuff because I just hated using the PC. Because I eventually, you know, sold slash gave away my old PC. So I was like, no, I need to move with the times. I need to let go. And then I only had this Windows 8 PC, which I hated. And I felt like I'd spent all this money on this lemon. <laughs> and that's when you convinced me to buy a PS4 and I just played Destiny for like... 18 months. You could have just got Windows 7. You couldn't downgrade. I, I'd have literally had to spend like another like 100 or 200 US dollars on Windows 7 again. Okay, fine. I don't know. It just felt, it just felt ridiculous. Anyway, thankfully, eventually Windows 10 came out and it was a free upgrade. And then after that, I mean, you can tell I've been playing way more PC games again because, you know, I actually, I like playing games on PC. I like mouse and keyboard. But yeah, I really didn't like Windows 8. Also in 2012. This one's for you. Telltale Games released The Walking Dead, which I think is the very first is the very first iteration of this type of game. Right, this new style adventure game. And then after that, after The Walking Dead season 1, which I thought was amazing. A buttload of other licensed versions of it came along. And in the space of less than a decade, the studio's now gone. I keep meaning to play The Walking Dead Season 1. I bought it in a steep sale many years ago. Never got around to playing it. I mean, my only experience with one of Telltale Games' games is Minecraft Story Mode, which I'm not sure is the best example, but is the only one I've played. But in happier news, are Telltale Games back? I mean, an unexpected highlight of the Game Awards this year, they announced The Wolf Among Us 2 is coming. So... They've managed to get back together some of the original Telltale Games devs and they're making the sequel to Wolf Among Us. So maybe there's a happy ending to this after all. Can we move on to 2013? 2013 saw the much 
awaited return of SimCity? Yes. Much awaited and then quickly reviled. <laughs> SimCity had a lot going for it, but the main issue it had was that it was a an online-only game. And there was a lot of talk from the studios about how it needed to be online. And I feel that's been the story for this decade. What, just studios lying? <laughs> no. But the need for online connectivity for a lot of things, like even for one of the Xboxes originally, it was you had to be online. Well, the original plan for the Xbox One, I think, was that you had to always be online and that the discs would just be in store media, but actually each disc was only usable once because when you used it, it tied the license to your account and you couldn't lend out the disc or anything. Like That all fell apart very quickly because there was extreme market backlash. I mean, what's funny is if you try to do that today, it might actually be okay now because... I think people have just become accustomed to things always being online. But in 2013, it was still not okay. People would accept it if the game genuinely needed it. For example, MMOs or, well, multiplayer games in general. But SimCity, I think what really angered people is that it was just a total lie like they said it needed to be online because the glass box simulation you know was using server resources to do the calculation but yeah it was a total lie i mean basically it was proven false by some hackers patching out the always online requirement and the game just worked totally fine in fact there was a period in the actually you could argue it's still today where the illegal product was a better product than the legal one. You know, think about DVDs that had unskippable adverts or like you wouldn't download a car, you know, like you paid money for this thing and you had to watch this unskippable, offensive advert about how you shouldn't pirate stuff. And it's like, wow, if I just pirated this, I wouldn't have to watch this offensive advert. It was like that. Moving on. Oh, moving on to the other, like the most toxic subject of all time in gaming. 2014, Gamergate. I don't even know what we can say about this one. It was just like this seismic shift. Don't say we. <laughs> you don't even want to say anything at all, right? You're, you're, you're no. staying well away from this. If I was sensible, I would stay well away from it too. <laughs> However... I just think it's impossible to talk about this past decade in gaming and not mention Gamergate. It would be false to not mention it. And I think for both of us, well, definitely for you, I mean, I secretly love controversy, but even I'm not stupid enough to court controversy related to Gamergate. You know, the social commentary angle of it, like neither of us really wants to talk about that. But you need to be conscious of it because you know there's like I, I i don't think this is just in games anymore this is this is spread to beyond games and there's a whole subculture around signaling which side you're on or like dog whistling i think they also call it maybe that's the derogatory version of it i don't know so you have to kind of be aware of what you shouldn't say lest you accidentally 
imply that you're for one side or the other. And it's even more dangerous because like, I don't really know that much about it. So the risk of accidentally saying something is probably quite high. Hence, it's better just to say nothing at all. <laughs> Why am I even talking about this? <laughs> I'm courting controversy. You see, I- I've taken your advice. I'm trying to do a Jonathan Blow. Although even Jonathan Blow wouldn't touch this one. But you're not going all in. You're, you're, you're just walking along the edges. Yeah. I just think it's interesting, like, Total Biscuit. I actually wasn't really a fan of Total Biscuit, personally. But I do feel also like he was unfairly vilified for association with Gamergate, for example. And then there were targets of Gamergate's, you know, ire. For example, I know Anita Sarkeesian was frequently targeted, but then I did watch her Tropes versus Women series, and she was definitely right about Gears of War 2. The plot of Gears of War 2 is absolute trash. I remember we played Gears of War 2, and I was just like, is this for real? Is this the actual plot of the game? This is literally offensive. I couldn't believe someone actually made that game. I mean, it was more offensive than Duke Nukem Forever, I can tell you. In my opinion. Then again, I never played Duke Nukem Forever. Maybe Duke Nukem Forever was much more <laughs> offensive if you actually played it. Whatever. Let's move on before I say something else. 2015. We started the podcast. Yay. I can't believe we started the podcast all the way back in 2015. What have I been doing with my life? Crushing it. Crushing it, editing a podcast. So, for most of the post-2015 highlights, I think our podcast has already got it covered. So just to finish up, also in 2015, Undertale. I might never have played Undertale if not for the podcast. So that's definitely a good thing that's come out of the podcast because we were looking for a book club game and you said, how about Undertale? It's got 97 on Metacritic. I mean, it doesn't have 97 on Metacritic anymore, sadly. Though, you know, it deserves 97 on Metacritic. It's an incredible game. I'm sure you would have played it eventually. I don't know. It might have just languished on the backlog forever. I I can very easily see myself having missed Undertale and then having missed it, seeing all like the rabid fandom that built up around it and being like, oh, I don't want to touch this. Like what the hell's up with people who like this game? But now I'm one of them. How embarrassing. All thanks to me. You know, if I mentioning Undertale, I feel I should also mention going all the way back, 2011, Dark Souls, another seminal game of this decade. And also, well, number one, games are allowed to be hard again. And number two, everyone can lazily say, oh, it's the Dark Souls of X. Is this the Dark Souls of podcasts? It's hard going. Have you, <laughs> have you made it this far? You deserve an achievement. I can't, I can't, I can't. It's too tenuous. I can't, I can't ride this with you. We can give you a meaningless award. Thank you. <laughs> so on to the meaningless awards for 
So shall we start with best multiplayer? The reason I'm here on this podcast is I offer predictability, and I will pick the franchise which everyone needs. So, actually, if I had done that, I would have chosen Fortnite. But actually, I've gone with COD Modern Warfare. Are you going to choose the COD game every year? Like, I need to go back and look at what you picked, you know, in previous years. But I know in 2018 you picked Blops Four. I'm pretty so, sure that's why I put the disclaimer in front of this. This probably should have been Borderlands 3, but it didn't have the longevity. And unfortunately, COD does have that. Season 1 of the Battle Pass has already started. And along with that was more content. And unfortunately, best multiplayer is the game you play with your friends rather than what's best. <laughs> I, I mean, it's funny that you said, oh, maybe they should have been Borderlands, but I'm going to say I didn't pick Borderlands 3 either. In fact, I, I, I'd already forgotten about Borderlands 3 when I was looking at these categories. I just, it just didn't even occur to me to pick Borderlands 3. I mean, Borderlands 3 was fun to play through, but yeah, maybe... Maybe there is just something lacking to it. I mean, maybe a signal of that was that in the last few sessions, when I was playing Borderlands 3, you know, with a friend, we literally just spent half an hour fabricating guns with a gun gun rather than actually farming for loot. So maybe that's a bad sign. Anyway, so my choice for best multiplayer 2019, Apex Legends. A fine choice. It's just a more arcadey twist on Battle Royale. But it's not Fortnite. There's no building. It's, I think a lot of people said, you know, they liked PUBG, but they didn't like how it was so kind of serious and like, you know, one shot kills you kind of thing. Like they wanted something more arcadey, but they couldn't deal with the building in Fortnite. And then Apex is basically what a lot of people were asking for. Something that's less serious than PUBG, but just no building and first person. They also added the innovation of the like character classes and, and the skills, which actually also change up the game quite a lot. So, I mean, I actually really like Apex, but I'm really bad at it. Like, I'm even worse at Apex than I am at PUBG. And also... You need exactly three people to play Apex. If you join as a duo, it will just put a third person in your party. And 
I'm not good with playing with randoms. So in the end, we tend to only play Apex when we've got exactly three people, which is not that often. What does that mean? You're not very good at playing with randoms. I just don't, I just don't like it. Especially, you've got to think we're in Asia. So we're going to get match made with someone from, I don't know, maybe from Hong Kong or maybe from the mainland, but it's going to be tough. You know, I can't speak Cantonese. I can't speak Mandarin. Yeah, and that's even if they've got voice chat on at all. I guess you can get by with pinging, but it's not the same. That's not what I expected from you. I thought you were just going to say you get frustrated with other people. No, I mean, I get shown up by other people. <laughs> they might be really good, <laughs> right? I did play with some people. I discovered someone in the office plays Apex, and then I played a game with them and their friend, and they were just so much better than me. It was really embarrassing. I actually felt like grandpa or something you know like traipsing after them they were just like murderizing people they like literally charged straight in and their aim was incredible and i was just like oh what am i doing i'm really far behind yeah no matter and then also just because these are meaningless awards and i can mention more than one i don't know if it's runner-up or like joint first place whatever satisfactory it was fun i played it towards the start of the year we kind of put it down because we reached the end of the tech tree and it's still in early access and they're still adding stuff to it. So we haven't picked it up again yet. But Satisfactory is really fun. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a more accessible version of the things I like about modern Minecraft. It's much prettier. It's easier to get to grips with because, you know, they've, they've designed in a whole kind of progression rather than just like, here's a load of blocks. Good luck. So, Satisfactory is fun, but it's only on the Epic Store, so you'll have to swallow your pride and <laughs> get with Epic. So, on to Best Game. Disco Elysium. It's the RPG you promised me, Mike. You always talk about RPGs. And you talk about ones where I don't need to worry about combat. And it's purely... I don't know what to say. I've never played Planescape Torment. I can only imagine what Planescape Torment is like. And I imagine it to be a lot better than Torment Tides of Numenera. And this is what I hope for. And yes... Planescape Torment is much better than Torment Tides of Numenera. And this Disco Elysium, even though the setting is completely different, it does feel a lot like Planescape Torment in many ways. Also, it feels like Planescape Torment turned up to 11. Like, it's, it's crazy. There's just so many mechanics 
that it doesn't actually really ever explain. You know what? Let's not go into this in huge detail, but it's a very, very interesting game. Interestingly, I only know it existed because you told me about it. So it's another case of the podcast slash our friendship. I guess our friendship doesn't have to go via the podcast, but yeah, I only know about this game because you told me about it. And then I looked into it and I was like, whoa, I should really play this game. And I bought it one day and played it a couple of hours. And then I was like, Ting, you really need to play this game. And I did. And basically you play a piss detective, which is ridiculous compared to the, I don't know, is it is it tropey? Is it a cliche to have an unknown character with amnesia? I mean, it kind of is tropey. And, and that's kind of also the trope that Planescape Torment plays too, but it works really well. It allows you to have a blank slate character that you can impose your story on like it, it can almost be actually i don't even know if they do do this in <laughs> disco elysium but you know you get a sort of choices and whichever answer you pick is the right answer you know it's like oh are you a veteran of the war or are you a pacifist and whichever one you pick just becomes your character's backstory you know when you i i don't know whatever this is an aside there's too much detail so yeah disco elysium cool choice you can mention any of the others yeah, yeah. I wanted to talk about the alternatives. I want to talk about Resident Evil 2, which is survival horror, which I've shared with you that I'm not into. There's Sekiro, which is a Soulsborne game, which is also something that doesn't speak to me. And then finally there was RDR2, which is a PC port, which I think is a cheat. I mean, other than RDR2, which you, you did play on PS4, you haven't played any of these games. Would you, would you choose a game as best game even if you hadn't played it? Ah, the question is, would I have picked it up because I was intrigued by it? Hmm. Okay. So I guess those were maybes, but none of them materialised. Yes. Well, for me, I feel it's too early to call it on Disco Elysium because I've only played a couple of hours. And so... For my best game of 2019, I am choosing Baba Is You for its uniqueness and creativity and also just living, you know, the one dev indie dream. Like, it's a game that someone made at a game jam and it was really fun. And so they went and just spun it out into a whole full release and there's nothing like it. There's nothing else like it. And then also, because I can't pick just one, Slay the Spire. Slay the Spire, because I probably should have picked it last year. I mean, I actually mostly played Slay the Spire last year. But technically, it released this year. So I'm going with it. Okay. Because Slay the Spire deserves to win something. It's one of the greatest games ever made. I mean, I do use a lot of hyperbole, but... Slay the Spire is incredible. And I don't say that that often. I can second that. Missed in 2019. 
This is an interesting one. I've put here Divinity Original Sin 2, Definitive Edition on Switch. But this isn't the first time it's been released on any platform. It, I missed this in 2017 on Windows, then I missed this in 2018 on PS4, and now I've missed it in 2019. Just the thought of it scares me. I've heard this game is very, very good, but I've also heard that it's very, very long. And I am just scared to start games that are very long these days. But you have it, right? I have. I actually backed it on Kickstarter. So, yes, I have it. But I have a, a huge amount of mental resistance to starting any game that I know is very long. This is why I haven't started The Witcher 3, for example, as well. So yours is? I mean, all the disclaimers that I made last year as well, which is to say I actually missed basically everything again this year. Sorry. But if I'm going to name one, I'm going to say Control. I actually really want to play Control. It's another game where I didn't know about it until it released. Like, I didn't get any of the hype and the build-up to it. I just discovered this game had come out. And I know very little about it, but the blurb and the videos that I've seen about it, you know, the trailers, look really, really good. So I know it's this kind of paranormal third-person shooter. I've heard it compared to SCP or the SCP Wiki, if you're familiar with that, this Secure, Contain, Protect. It's like this creepypasta wiki. It's a dangerous rabbit hole to go down. There's like... To be honest, like a lot of the articles on it are of very variable quality, but there's some really, really good ones. It's kind of like this fictional universe where there are these anomalous objects and there's an organization that exists to contain them. And I think that the plot of control is kind of a bit like that. And you're the director of the agency that needs to contain or control this, well, stuff. But I know no more than that. So I'd really like to play it. I actually deliberately didn't buy it for really dumb reasons. Because I knew that it had really amazing RTX effects. And I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't play this until I've got an RTX card. Which is a really stupid reason to not buy a game. Anyway, I've caved and bought it now. So <laughs> I missed it in 2019, but I'll probably play it in 2020. Because... It was a third off after it won IGN's Game of the Year. So I bought it because it was on sale. I'll try and play it in the new year. And then some other runner-up mentions that I'm just going to rattle through very, very quickly. Death Stranding. Oh, Death Stranding. I was way more interested in Death Stranding the less I knew about it. Now I know quite a lot about Death Stranding. I'm like, uh, so it's a walking simulator? I'll pass. But you like walking simulators. Well, it's not so much a walking simulator as like a baggage simulator. <laughs> okay, yes. I mean, I'm vaguely interested in the story, but it just also seems like... It just seems like just layers and layers of bullshit. I don't know. I'll wait for a year or two when all the hype has died down. And then if people are still interested in it, maybe I can pick it up on the cheap. 
if if the eventual verdict of it is that it was good, rather than that, we were all sucked into Hideo Kojima's reality distortion field. It's the best one, though. It's the best reality distortion field. Is it the only one we've got these days with the sad passing of Steve Jobs? I was going to say, well, there's your one as well. (laughs) Mine's so weak. (laughs) It's sad. I guess Elon. Elon's got a pretty powerful one. Yes. Sorry, sorry. Veering off topic. Okay, just to name drop a few more. Sekiro. The Outer Worlds. The Outer Wilds. Pokemon Sword and Shield. Actually, Pokemon Sword and Shield. I reckon next year we're going to get Pokemon Broadsword and Pokemon Tower Shield or something. They're going to they're going to release a special edition because, like, like you know, you know, they did Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. I'm sure there's going to be a version that comes out with the national decks, and they're just going to make everyone buy it twice. So I'm not falling for your lies, Game Freak. I'm not going to buy it twice. I'll buy it once when it comes around the proper version, and then. Boneworks. Have you seen Boneworks? No. It is batshit. It's VR only. It looks totally crazy. But I think it is also going to be vomit inducing. I'm not sure I can play it because I actually suffer quite badly from VR sickness. And it's a game where you have to move with the analog stick while playing. So you have to like move by grappling things with your hands and also walking with the analog stick. It it literally sounds like essence of nausea. But it looks so cool. It really looks really cool. The the title's not very descriptive. You've you've got to help me a little bit. I, I can't describe it. You have to watch the trailer. Okay. And then finishing up honorable mention. For absolutely any reason. I mentioned it before Resident Evil 2 I do action horror but not survival horror and you mentioned that's the difference when it comes to The Last of Us so you want to play this game but you think you can't handle it yeah I don't know what to say maybe you should just try it I don't like the feeling of being chased I guess once I go over that it's over the the game means nothing to me that when that happens. Yeah, maybe this isn't the, <laughs> the game for you then. Or have you seen they're doing Resident Evil 3 as well now? Oh, yeah. And Resident Evil 3 is literally a game about being chased. <laughs> the whole game, this monster is chasing you. Where, where's the fun in that? I've noticed Resident Evil 2 has not appeared in any of your anythings. I, I played it before. I played it on 
the original PlayStation, I think I just haven't got into the hype cycle for it. And so I've played it before and it just didn't excite me. I think if I watched more of the trailers or I watched more of the gameplay, maybe then I'd feel like I really wanted to play it. But I think I'm not super into horror either. Like, I do like it every now and again. But given the backlog I've got, there are other games I'd rather play. I think we're in the same boat. If a game is critically acclaimed and it's horror, it's unfortunate for me, but I have that curiosity. We can move on. Okay. So my choice... Tetris 99. This game is sheer madness. This game is just signalling that we've reached peak Battle Royale. Oh, have you heard about Forza Horizon 4 now has a Battle Royale mode? (laughs) Wait, what? Forza Horizon 4 now has a Battle Royale mode. You can do Battle Royale with cars now. Is there collision between the cars? I think so. But you're just chasing, you know, you're just rushing to be within the circle. Wow, okay, I was wrong. We hadn't reached peak Battle Royale yet. There are things we can still do. There is time. Well, despite you deflating my assertion, Tetris 99 sounds ridiculous, but it is actually amazing fun. And I learned how to T-spin because of it. And then my other pick... (laughs) for honourable mention because I'm just terrible like this Mario Maker 2 I didn't miss it in 2019 because I bought it but having bought it and played it I realised I actually really enjoy watching people play Mario Maker much more than I enjoy actually playing Mario Maker like playing a troll level is just frustrating watching someone else play a troll level is hilarious And so, those are my picks. And that's it. That's our rewards for 2019. And so that's 2019 all wrapped up. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club on Twitter at Lost Levels Club on Twitch as Lost Levels Club anywhere else Reddit slash r slash Lost Levels Club that's it and that's it Mike what are you grateful for uh, well 
I was going to say I'm grateful to be going on holiday tomorrow because I'm, I, in fact, when we finish recording this, I'm literally going to pack my suitcase because I have to go to the airport right after work tomorrow. And it's already midnight, so that's going to be fun. But you did also say that I always say I'm grateful that I'm going on holiday and that I can't pick that again this year. So I'm going to pick this amazing YouTube video <laughs> that I saw. I'm grateful <laughs> that people make these crazy things. So someone made a mashup of Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You and Marilyn Manson's The Beautiful People. These are like two incredibly opposite songs that somehow fuse into this, I was going to say perfect, maybe perfect too strong, incredible mashup. Like, it really works really well. I think unless you're familiar with both songs, you'll just find it weird. I mean, most people are going to be familiar with All I Want for Christmas with You. Fewer people are going to know Marilyn Manson's The Beautiful People, given that it's like some Satanist <laughs> or whatever that means. Antichrist. I don't know. I think it's literally from some album called like Antichrist Superstar or something. But that's what makes it so hilarious. So Michael says bye. Bye bye.